This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, very good. It is good to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Isn't this better than being in the best hospital in all of Southern California? Is this better than being in the best jail in all of Southern California? Yeah, <laughs> that's what my dad always says. But I tell you what, man, you are blessed that we get to be in church this morning, get to be in the presence of God, get to be in the house of God. And I know that God wants to speak something to you. Now, check it out. We have a lot of desserts over here. And I think that some of you, you're already thinking that it's time for the cake auction. But we're going to get through the message first because we're going to talk to you today about the sin of gluttony for a few minutes. All right. No, this is not the day that we preach on gluttony. This is the day that we kind of skirt that issue. But anyway, after the service, we have a little dessert auction that we do uh, just for today. Um, and it's to help the youth group raise some trip, uh, some funds for their uh, ministry and for their summer trip. And that's going to be really good. Um, my dad is uh, not here today. He's on, uh, he, as you know, he's going through chemo right now. He's on one of his isolation days where he's not supposed to come out and, and be uh, around everybody. But he's doing fantastic. And he says, hi to everybody and he'll be here next Sunday. So we love dad. We'll see him next Sunday. Okay. (laughs) Amen. Well, if you need an outline for this sermon this morning, raise your hands and the ushers will get you one. And we're going to be talking this morning about this topic. It's called generational faith, generational faith. And what I'm talking about is this, you know, we're kind of focusing a little bit this morning on the youth. Uh, aspect of the church, you know, the youth aspect of the ministry, because um, that's, you know, the cake auctions later on. But I think all of us every now and then we need a little refresher. We need a little reminder that we have an obligation. We have a sincere calling from God to pass on our faith to the next generation. Does anybody in here remember being 15 years old? Wasn't, I mean, gosh, it wasn't that long ago, was it? But some of you are like, yeah, man, back then we rode horses to school. No, it wasn't that long ago, guys. Anyway, uh, but I mean, it's easy sometimes to look at the current generation, and I think every generation does that, and you're like, man, these kids are crazy. They're doing crazy things. We never would have done that. Listen, some of you, you wore parachute pants in the early 90s, all right? Don't make fun of these kids. <laughs> They're not, Anyway, but what I'm saying is it's easy to, to get frustrated. It's easy to say, oh, well, but listen to me. We have a golden opportunity as the adults, right, as the mature people, as the people that hopefully at this point know a little bit about the Lord. We've experienced a little bit of life and you have some wisdom. You have some resources. You have something that you as a mature Christian adult, are to pass on to the next generation, okay? And it's a it's a serious thing, man. I don't care if you're in here and you're 20 years old. We we have a pretty young church, relatively speaking, compared to most churches. But maybe you're an adult in here and you're you're in your 20s. Well, listen, you are part of it. You have an obligation as you're growing in your faith to help pass it on to the next generation. And so I'm talking this morning. I'm going to be a little bit brief so we can get to this cake auction here in a few. But I'm talking about generational faith. 
And I want to encourage you today to do your part, all right? And so let's open up in prayer, and we're going to get right into this message. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much once again that we have a church to come in and, and to worship you, to learn your word. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that this morning you will open up our hearts to your word. You'll speak the truth to us, Lord, and you're going to show us things that we need to see so we can do our part to raise the next generation of born-again Christians right here in Barstow, right here in the high desert, right here in the Inland Empire of Southern California. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said? All right, so number one today is this. Number one, he is faithful to all generations. Does that sound like something familiar maybe you've heard before? Well, that's several scriptures say that, but you have to realize that it wasn't just your generation. It wasn't just the previous generations. God is faithful. He will show himself. He will show up to every generation that's ever on this planet. So let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. And I tell you what, there's some exciting stuff we're going to see today. And it excites me to, to, to realize that God is doing a work, man. He, he cares about the new generation of kids. He cares about your generation. God cares about everybody, doesn't he? He loves, and I mean, that sounds like a cliche thing to say, but it's the absolute truth. Jesus literally loves everybody. And that's hard because most of us, we don't really, you know, you kind of have some people that you wouldn't say you're in love with. You know what I mean? Kind of get on. Did anybody have someone that's a little bit annoying in your life? Come on. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Am I that person in your life? (laughs) My mom just said sometimes. Yeah, well, I do have a tendency to push my mom's buttons. (laughs) Yes, I do. But she loves me anyway, don't you, Mama? All right. So Psalm 100, verse 5. It says this, for the Lord is good. Can we get an amen? The Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. That's good news. I'm glad that he didn't stop his faithfulness three generations ago, five generations ago, a hundred. No, I'm glad that his faithfulness, thank God, it continues to all generations. He is here for us even in this day and age. But I know this much that each generation faces its own set of obstacles. Each generation, I mean, there's things that my parents face that, that, I mean, that I'm not too familiar with, but there's definitely things that this generation right now faces that we, we, we really don't know about, man. There's things that, I, I'm serious, kids in this day and age, they have real issues they're facing. And sometimes we're like, well, they're kids, whether they're children or they're teenagers, and like, they're kids. They couldn't really have real problems. I have met children in Barstow in 2018 that are dealing with bigger issues and bigger hurts than I've ever seen in my life. Kids are real people. They're real human beings. And just because they don't have a job yet, just because they aren't raising a family of their own, some of these kids that even come into this church right here, they face difficult home lives when they get at home. And I'm telling you right now, we have a a golden opportunity to tell them that, listen, God is faithful. 
The Lord is good. I promise you the Lord's good. And sometimes it may be hard for them to see that right now, but we can show them that the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. It's not going to end, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. But I'm telling you, I know this much, that each generation does face kind of a different set of obstacles that they are dealing with. And so I, I was thinking, looking back on my family, and, and so some of you heard my boring story before, but I'm going to dig into it anyway, because I don't know your family, I know my family. And so my 11th great-grandfather, 11th, 11 generations ago, was this man named Francis Cook. And I think he was born, I wrote it down, in 1583. So anyone remember 1583? The 80s? Those were the best men. Oh, woo! We had a good time. But uh, anyway, the 1580s, that was the bomb. But, uh, but he, he was born back there. And so that generation that he was in, in England, they were facing some difficulties because the government was coming down on them and said, you have to worship the way that we say to worship. You ever heard of this? They said, I mean, you, you had to go to the church that the government told you to go to. You had no choice. And, the, and there was also this bad that if you were absent from church for 40 days, they would put you in prison. It was mandatory. You had to go to church and you had to go to the one that they chose for you. You had to worship God and do it exactly how the government told you to. That's bad. You should be able to have some choice and say, well, I like High Desert Word Center. I like this church. You should be able to have a, a, a choice to go to which church you want to go to. Am I right? You shouldn't be. I mean, the government should not tell you which church you have to go to. And half the time they're reading in Latin and stuff. And the people had no idea what was even being read. They just had to take the person's word for it. So I'm telling you, it was not a good system. And so obviously a group of people were like, well, I think that we should be able to worship God how we want to. And so they decided we're going to do our own thing. So they split. And my grandpa was in this group. It was funny. I was watching a documentary on the History Channel a while back. And they talked about how a group of them went over to Holland for a brief period. I think it was in the early 1600s. I'm like, dude, that's what my family's told me. So they went over to Holland, but it was so bad over there as far as being poor and they couldn't, they couldn't scratch out a living. They're like, okay, that's it. We're going to go for this new place called Virginia. And so they load up the boat, just like the Beverly Hillbillies. They loaded up the boat back there on, uh, what was that, uh, September 6, 1620, and they headed for Virginia. They, they landed a little far north, and they landed in Massachusetts, right, at Plymouth Rock on November 11, 1620. And I'm telling you what, they set about to worship God the way that they saw the Bible said to worship God. And, you know, we hear these stories and it's like, well, that's that's cool and all. But that took some guts, man. Sixty six days at sea on a boat, people seasick all over the place. And you're just doing it for no other reason than you want to be able to worship God the way that you know is the right way to worship God without the government saying you have to go to this church. You have to do it this way. You have to pray just like this. They stood up for something. And I like people that stand up for something. I like people that don't just complain about how bad it is. I like people that say, it may be bad right now, but I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to fix it. And so this generation of people, they didn't just complain. They actually did something about their problem. And I'm telling you right now that this generation right now in 2018, they face 
real obstacles. They face real things that maybe we don't understand or maybe we're like, I don't get that, man. But listen to me. They need to learn through the word of God how to stand up for what's right and to actually do something about the issues in the world, right? Not just complain about it and fight with people. Am I right? And so I'm telling you, what we're doing today to raise the money for the youth group, uh, it's it's real to me. I, I want, I mean, wouldn't it be great if we had a city full of teenagers that served God? Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't it be awesome to have a city full of teenagers and children that came to the house of the Lord? Their parents brought them to the house of the Lord and they were raised in the way of God, do you think Barstow, do you think this area would be just a little bit different if we had more people doing things according to God's word? I I, I think I could go for that. I, I'm okay with this. I think this would be a great thing. And so you're telling me I, I could sit here and, and, and help some teenagers go on a retreat to learn more about the Lord and get closer to God and actually grow up and be something? Yeah, count me in. I want to be a part of that. And so I'm encouraging you today that uh, we're blessed. You are blessed. I am blessed. And I'm going to say this, that we have a church here that actually cares about the next generation. Who thinks that that's probably a good thing? And let's just lay it out there. Not every church actually cares about the future generations. You know, and it's sad to me, and I'm not putting down on any other place, but I know all the time I talk to other ministers and other people, and they're like, man, I was talking to one lady from another church, and she's like, yeah, we have a nursery, but we don't really, I mean, maybe we may ever now and then have a baby in it sometimes, but there's not really, there's not really any kids at our church. I'm like, that's heartbreaking to me. That's awful. I, there's some Sundays we got... 20 kids just in that nursery up there, then another 10 down here. And that's not a bragging thing. That's just saying you guys are doing a great job bringing your kids to church and bringing in the next generation. That's really, really good. Because I've been to some churches where, uh, I mean, after this group dies off, there's not going to be anybody left. And that church is going to close down. And that's not funny. That's sad. That's sad that there's churches that at one point were thriving, were vibrant, were making a difference for the kingdom of God, but they didn't have any foresight. All they could see was right here, right now, and they did nothing to invest in their children or their grandchildren, and here they are. When they die off, the place is going to close down, and that is really, really sad to me, and so I love my church right here that I don't care if there's people here that are 80 years old, but they are sincerely happy. They are sincerely concerned about making an investment and reaching out to the 15-year-olds and the 10-year-olds. I, I love it. I was talking to Brother Al over here. Brother Al, he's, he's like four or five years older than me, but not much more than that. But, but Al was talking about when he found the church, he said they were looking at the website and stuff, and he's like, man, well, we, one thing we really liked is how much you guys, uh, you know, an emphasis you put on the younger people. And, and, you know, and that does, Al's not uh, 15 years old right now, but he cares that we are doing something for your teenagers, for your kids. He sees the importance of that because he's lived a little while. And I'm thinking that's wisdom right there. 
That's wisdom that I wish everybody would get a hold of. We, we are a church for every person, every age. We love everybody. But our mission statement is this, and you've seen it on literature and everything else, is we're a family church equipping God's people for victorious Christian living. And yeah, we put a major emphasis on children, on teens, on the babies, and on families, and on, you know, and we want to reach everybody, but God has given us a very specific calling to families, and to children, and teenagers, and, and that's just what God's called us to. That's not saying that another church is bad, or we're good, or that's just saying that's what God has called us to do, and you people, you church family, are doing a phenomenal job of, 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 of making this happen, alright? But, I'm telling you, we have got to teach the future generations that God is faithful to all generations. Amen. So I was looking back a little, you know, further on in my, my lineage. And so both of my grandfathers fought in World War Two. And I bet some of you guys, you will have relations in World War II, but I'm thinking, man, those guys had to see the faithfulness of God. They faced some real issues. And here we are, we're like, I can't, my iPhone died. I've got issues, man. What am I going to do? Like, dude, my grandpa was getting shot at. It was not, not really great. And so my mom's dad, he, he had se- several successful bombing missions. He was a pilot. And, and we found out later that he got a purple heart. He got shot in the war, but never told anybody about it. They didn't find it. I think was it until after he had passed away when they finally figured that out or whatever. But, yeah. So, anyway, he, it just, he didn't talk about it. But he was a war hero. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. And then my, uh, my dad's dad... I'm thinking about him. He was not a godly man until the very, very end of his life. <laughs> My grandpa was not a godly individual, but uh, but I love him. And uh, he he had lied about his age so he could get into the army. And he was uh, deployed at 16 years old to Japan. And I'm like, man, most 16 year olds I know today, I wouldn't put them like I wouldn't want to send them to the front lines. Like, I know some knucklehead 16 year olds, but I'm not again I'm not putting down on the generation. I'm just saying. So anyway. Uh, but but God kept him alive somehow by the grace of God for another 60 years because he didn't receive Jesus until the very end of his life in his 70s or when he was close to 80. But thank God that God is faithful to all generations. And I'll see my grandpa again. I wish he had been a little more of a holy man while he was here in this world. But praise God, he is in heaven now. And I'm thankful for that because God is faithful to all generations. And so I'm telling you. God knows that each each group, each generation faces different things, and we have an obligation, we have a duty, we have an opportunity, a privilege to be able to pour into the next generation. Isn't that awesome? That you have something to offer. I have something to offer if you're a godly person. If you're not godly, then we probably don't want you talking to the kids, okay? Okay. Anyway, so I want to sh- I want to show you something this morning in Galatians chapter three verse thirteen. Yes, who loves Galatians three thirteen? Amen. Galatians three thirteen. And so, you know, my dad is an amazing man. Um, he's a, the most godly man I know. He's more dedicated to the Word of God than any person I've ever met in my life. He will read his every day, man. My dad is the definition of dedication to the word of God. Galatians 3.13, it says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. My family's under a generational curse. Mine was too, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, referring to the cross. Verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so I'm telling you right now, Christ didn't just redeem us from the curse, but then he put the blessing of Abraham on us. That's pretty awesome. He says, I'll take the curse off of you, and instead I'm going to give you the blessing of Abraham. And I'm telling you what, man, that doesn't just rightfully belong to everybody. That belongs to people that have been adopted into the family of God. Well, I'm not Jewish. How do I qualify for this? Because Abraham was a Hebrew man, right? I can't possibly be any relation to him, but it says he has given it to the Gentiles. And I'm telling you right now, this is a happy guy that was born a Gentile because Christ adopted me into his family and he gave me the blessing of Abraham. And some of you aren't excited because you have no idea what the blessing of Abraham is. So you're like, well, that whoop de doo that sounds cool. Dude, go study the blessing of Abraham and you'll get a little bit excited. The blessing of Abraham is amazing. Oh, we ought to teach on the blessing of Abraham. So some of you will finally get this. Listen, the blessing of Abraham was threefold. It covered a physical blessing, a spiritual blessing. And the third thing it covered was a financial blessing. You know, like, you're talking about money. The Bible did. I mean, I'm not making this up. God blessed Abraham until he was amazingly rich. You're like, well, I don't know about that. He did it. And, and it says that he's given me as an adopted child of God, the blessing of Abraham, why would you fight that off? I don't get how some people are like, I know the Bible says this, but I, I, I don't know. It's just never worked for me. And, and I believe we all ought to be poor. Speak for yourself, homeboy. I don't want to be, you go ahead. I don't, you do that. If, if the Bible says that God will supply all my needs, if he said he's going to give me the blessing of Abraham, you, you can keep the curse, but I'll take the blessing of Abraham, man. Why do people argue for their rights to, to have a miserable existence? I'm thinking, like, I want to find that what the, all the promises the Bible says are mine, and I'm going to claim those right now. I'm not going to sit there and argue about why I should be broke and depressed and miserable and sick and poor. Why would you do that? But a lot of people do that. So anyway, I'm telling you, the blessing of Abraham is threefold, spiritual, physical, financial. But another great thing about the blessing of Abraham is it's generational. You pass it right on, man. Pass it right on to the future generations. And so if you believe in generational curses, I believe in generational blessings. So get rid of your family's generational curse and pick up a generational blessing. Amen. And I know some of you guys, you told me how, you know, how you have, you know, wicked families and all this stuff. Well, change it. Well, there's a curse on this family. Every single one of them ends up doing this, and every single one of them, and it's nobody in this family. Well, break the curse, man. Pick up the blessing of Abraham and do something different. It belongs to you if you're a born-again Christian. And so God is faithful to all generations. Amen? Say that with me today. God is faithful to all generations. And then the second thing we're going to say is this, number two, you have a responsibility to the next generation. Who believes that? 
Okay, about 16% of this crowd believes that they, that they should maybe possibly consider doing something for the future generations. That's cool. Aren't you glad somebody passed it on to you? And so you have a responsibility to, to, to teach these ones coming up, man. And I'm telling you, there is no greater privilege in this world than getting to be called mom or dad. Moms and dads, grandma and grandpa, you are the bomb.com. You, you are some of the most privileged people in this world that God has entrusted another human life for you to show the ways of the Lord to. That's a privilege, man. And, and I know a lot of people are so focused on, man, if I could just get them into this college, if I could just, oh man, I want my kid to make it to the NBA. I want my kid to make it to this. I want my kids to be this. I want them to, and, that's all cool, but I would hate it if my kid made it to the NBA and was a millionaire, but he didn't know the Lord. I have failed worse than anything else. I would hate it if my kid grew up to be a billionaire but cursed God. I would hate that. The, it would, you think money's more important than, than your kids knowing God? And it, it's incredible some of the things that people will sacrifice their kids' spiritual lives for. And I'm telling you, as a parent, there is nothing better in this world than to have your kids serving God. I mean, oh, man. And, and you, you guys that bring your kids into church and, and, you, and you bring them into the nursery and, and, and you bring them to youth group and children's church. You are incredible people right now that are doing your part to raise up some of the next generation. Some of you bring your grandkids to church. Man, you're awesome. You're the best. This is great. This, you are actually doing the right thing here. And there's a lot of stuff I can't teach my kids. I mean, uh, some of you know I'm not the greatest mechanic in the world. I, I'm probably not going to teach them how to rebuild an engine. I'm probably not going to teach them how to build a house. But I can teach them how to lay a solid foundation and live a life for Jesus Christ. I can do that much because my dad taught me and my mom taught me. And I am showing them that. And I encourage you, man, before anything else, get your kids in church. Get them to the house of the Lord. Read the Bible to your kids. Every morning you should be, you know, and this, we're not telling you how to live your life, but every morning you should be reading the word of God to your kids. Every night they should be praying. And, and I love it. I, I, some of you saw this. I, I, I went out to my uh, garage a couple weeks ago to fix something. And, and I, I hear my daughter praying and I look back and she has got her hands on the little neighbor girl's head. She's a little three-year-old girl and ellie's praying in the name of jesus we bind this and I'll, and she and she's like and she wasn't just she wasn't just twinkle twinkle little star she was legit praying the fire down from heaven on this little girl i was like whoa and so i'm like what was that all about well she says she's been having bad dreams and when we prayed for my bad dreams they went away so we're praying for her dad and she's not gonna have any more bad dreams is she and i'm like yes ma'am Absolutely. And so Ellie, she has a very evangelistic side to her. And so she comes up to me that one of the other neighbor girls is like two years old and doesn't even really talk yet. And so Ellie comes up. She's like, Dad, I'm concerned about this one. She doesn't believe in the, she doesn't even believe in God. I'm like, Ellie, she's two years old. <laughs> Just I'm, I appreciate your concern for her salvation, but we'll get there. She'll just let her get her get her potty trained and stuff. But she's evangelizing the neighborhood. And I'm, it's but I'd rather have that than, you know, some of the other stuff. So praise God. But amen. She's concerned about the two-year-olds. So uh, Psalm 78. Let's flip over there. Psalm 78, verse 4. 
Psalm 78, verse 4. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. He is faithful to all generations. Psalm 78, verse 4. You know what? We ought to. Who in here serves in nursery, children's church, or youth group? Stand up real quick. Come on. I'm going to put you on the spot. We're going to blast you. Look at this. These are all people that serve. Let's give them a hand this morning. These guys are the best. They, they minister to children because we don't run a babysitting service at this church. We don't, we don't stuff the kids up in a room up there so the real people can get preached to. No, they're getting ministered to even a nursery. They're hearing little Bible stories up there and, and they're learning little songs and, and the kids next door. And I mean, we aren't, we don't run a babysitting daycare over here. We run a ministry for kids and it, it's, it's awesome, but they're hearing the word of God. Psalm 78 verse four, it says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. And so that's what I'm saying this morning right now. We at High Desert Word Center, we are not going to hide these truths from our children. We're not going to hide these truths. We will tell them about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Let me ask this. Who in here you could say God has definitely done something in your life for sure there's been something that god has literally he's done have you ever sat down and told your kids that story have you ever sat down and told your grandkids that story about what god did for you have you ever just maybe you don't have kids or grand, but have you ever just sat down and told somebody of the next generation about what god about the time that god bailed you out about the time he healed you do your kids know the story of how you came to believe in the lord you need to be telling the next generation about the glorious deeds of God. Don't hide these truths from them. I mean, I've heard some places like, well, we don't talk about that in front of the kids. They couldn't possibly get it. They're kids. Believe me, kids comprehend and know things that you don't want to know that they know and comprehend. They know things that we don't even know. I mean, and so, well, we could, they don't, how could they understand the blood of Jesus? Talk to them about the blood of Jesus, man, because somebody's talking to them about other stuff. Talk to them. And I've known some people like, well, we, we need to wait to talk to the kids about salvation. We need, we need to wait until they can. F- Listen, the devil is going to wait to get his hands on them. Well, I don't know if they'd even understand it. I don't care. I would start teaching them the things of God from the second they come out. Because listen to me, Satan already has his eyes on and he's not going to wait. He doesn't think they're too young to mess up. He'll go after him from day one. And so why are they too young for God to have a word to? Why are they too young for God to speak in their lives? Don't wait. Do it now. Psalm 145 verse 4. Are we getting somewhere to Psalm 145, verse 4. Psalm 145, verse 4. And, uh, and, and this is just another example. There's, there's dozens of verses admonishing us of the exact same thing. Psalm 145, verse 4. It says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Let each generation tell their children 
of your mighty acts. And so we do, this is telling you right here, to tell your children. And so you do have an obligation. You do have a duty. I don't care if you've got a newborn. I'm, I'm, when my kids were born, all four of them, that night, I mean, we have baby dedications here at church. That night, the kids were dedicated to the Lord. And I, I remember specifically just each kid, just the first time holding them saying, God, thank you for this baby, but this baby's your baby. She will serve you. He will serve you every day. Help me not screw this up, Lord. Please help me to not screw this up and to raise this child in your ways. But I'm saying right now, he's yours. I'll raise him for you, but he's yours. And, and we've got to raise our kids, man. We've got from the very day one in the ways of the Lord. And that's the biggest blessing that I've ever had in my life is to be raised in a godly home. And, and I understand everybody wasn't raised in that. And I, and I feel bad for that, but I'm very grateful that I had parents that took me to church and never one time, not one time. I went to church like five or six times a week. We had a lot of services, man. We were, we were, we were legit Pentecostals, dude. We weren't kidding. People running and all this stuff. But, but not one time did my parents ever say, do you guys want to go to church today? Never. I never had the option. But there was never a time that I said, do we have to go today? I don't want to go. Because I just knew we're Christians, we go to church, it's what we do. And I never had an issue with that. And as an adult, I've never, I mean, sure, there's some days that I don't always fully feel like, like, you know, being here for everybody. <laughs> but at the same time, there's never a time that there is not an, you go to church and we had a standing rule in our house. You know, there's a few times I tried to use the excuse, uh, dad, I'm, I'm sick. I don't think I can go throw up and prove it. What's this? And then if you do throw up, all right, good. You feel better now. Let's go to church. Man, there's no win with that guy. I'm telling you what. But I'm really glad now. Woo! I'm glad they raised me to know how to fight spiritual warfare. They raised, they raised me to know how to fight the good fight of faith. Man, am I glad. Oh, am I glad. And so my question for us today, whether we have kids or not, is this, is are we doing our part to, to raise and to nurture and to instill faith in the next generation. And it's super important for us to realize that we've got to reach people young. Because number one, you can pass on your amazing wisdom and help them avoid a lot of the mistakes you made. Can I get an amen? And number two, statistically speaking, the longer somebody waits to make a decision to serve Jesus, the, the lower the chances are that somebody's going to do it at, at, at 30, 40, 50, 60 than they are when they're a kid. That's just statistically speaking. And so Christians in, in our day, they've got to start focusing younger. Do you know the, the median age of a Christian is 30? Across the body of Christ is 30. The median age of a Muslim is 23. Like, what is that? What the heck does that mean? That means they're doing a better job of reaching their next generation than Christians are. Seven years, when you're talking statistically speaking, is huge. If their median age is 23 of devout followers and the median age of born-again Christians is 30, we have got to step up the game and start putting our resources and our time and our investment into reaching them young. That's a big deal. 
And I, there's nothing that brings me more joy than to see a young mom and dad bringing their kids to church, man. Nothing better than that. And I look, I, I look across, I see a church full this morning of young moms and dads and, and sometimes some single parents just bringing their kids into church. That brings me no more joy than nothing in this world brings me more joy than to see families raising their kids in the ways of God, because I know how important that is. And so, and so my generation, I technically belong to this generation called the millennial generation. Sometimes we get a bad rap. We get made fun of because they go on the internet and they, they eat laundry detergent and stuff like that. And, and anyway, uh, and so they get, you know, the, who's heard of the millennial generation? All right. And I sometimes I don't want to say I belong to that generation, but I just the flat out truth, I belong to the millennial generation. And, and they get made fun of a lot and usually for good reason. The millennials are, they're, they're very sensitive people. If you don't agree with them, they need to play with Play-Doh in a safe space and stuff like that. And, and they need to have, uh, uh I remember, uh, um, uh, uh, they had colleges after the last election. They're bringing in, uh, ponies and stuff for the millennials to pet because they just, they couldn't take the fact that they lost and, and they had Play-Doh and, 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 and counselors. And I'm like, wow, if you are that weak-minded that you're going to have a meltdown, I mean, what's going to happen when something really happens in your life? When, like, when something actually bad happens, uh, you've got to get tougher than that. And so that's my generation. You're welcome. We're, we thank you. Thank you for the participation trophies and everything else that you gave us over the years. You're awesome. We love you. You people are amazing. But, but the, the next generation after, uh, after us is called Generation Z. And that's people that are currently being raised right now, your children, your teenagers. That's the next generation. And they're called Generation Z. But one thing, a Barna Research Group, one of the most respected research organizations in the United States, they just recently uh, released in January of this year, 2018, uh, uh, their results from several years, the last several years of, uh, of studying Generation Z. They have double the rate of, of people in Generation Z claiming to be atheist than the rest of the entire population. Double the percentage of young people, even 18, 17, 16-year-olds, claiming to be atheist. Well, why is that? I want to show you why. It's in Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 gives us the answer. Judges chapter 2. Let's flip back there to the Old Testament. Judges 2. So are we learning anything today? Amen. I like exciting sermons. I like sermons that make us feel pumped up and we want to go out and tackle the world. I wish today was one of those, friends. I really do. <laughs> I sincerely wish that this is a good sermon today, but uh, Judges chapter two. But here's the good news. Come back tonight. And my wife, Katie, is preaching tonight, everybody. <laughs> and she said, do me a favor. Don't tell anybody I'm preaching tonight. And so. Oh, she's preaching tonight. And it's going to be amazing. And so anyway. Come back tonight. And she's a fire, man. You guys know how fiery Katie is, right? Tony Bear, you know how fiery. Oh, yeah, she'll light you up, man. Tony's afraid of her. But, but it's for good reason. She's aggressive. <laughs> she sticks her tongue out on me. That's a great example for these people. 
R-E-S-P-E-C-T. She don't have none for me. <laughs> All right. Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And this is talking about when Joshua's generation had passed on, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, meaning they had died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. So we're talking about Joshua's generation. They crossed the Jordan. They took Jericho. They conquered the promised land, but they failed to properly teach their kids about God. And so it says, after that generation died off, an entire generation arose who did not know the Lord. They didn't know the work which God had done for Israel. How did you not tell them about crossing the Red Sea? You forgot to mention that you shouted and the walls of Jericho fell down? You forgot to mention that God provided manna from heaven every day? What happened? How could this generation that saw some of the most mighty miracles recorded in history raise kids that did not know the Lord? I don't get it. But look at this next verse, verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. That means they served idols. They bowed down to cows. You're going to bow down to a cow? And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among other gods, and of the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them And they provoked the Lord to anger. So this generation, it says, they they did not serve the God of their fathers. And I'm telling you, the God that I serve, I don't know him as the God of my father. I know him as my God. I was taught to receive him as my Lord and Savior. It's not just my parents' religion, they're church people. No. My parents, they, they taught me how to receive Jesus into my life. But it says right here, an entire generation arose who did not know God. They forsook God and they started serving and worshiping other things. And it made God angry with them. And so what we can see right now happening is a generation raising up at this point, a lot of them who do not know the Lord God, that their ancestors, their grandparents, their great grandparents served because They've been given so much liberty and freedom to do oh, You just do what feels good to you, man. You just whatever feels right. You don't feel like it. Just don't do it. And, and, and there's no absolute morals. Do you understand that? That people nowadays say there's no absolutes. Everything's just kind of gray. There's no black and white. There's just no concrete things to believe in. Whereas previous generations were told this is always going to be wrong. You mean this is no. I don't care if it's a thousand years from now, you can't just go rob somebody. It'll always be wrong. But now we're taught, well, is it a rich person or is it a poor person? I don't know. I mean, maybe this guy really needed it and this guy was rich. So it's kind of okay to take from him. Stealing, stealing. It's just as wrong to steal from a poor guy as it is a rich guy or vice versa. But we've got a generation now that says we just make up the rules as we go along. And uh, and if we don't agree with it, then we just change the rules to conform to our life. And I was taught that you don't change the Bible to be more like you. You change you to be more like the Bible. 
And it worked brilliantly for a couple thousand years until us enlightened ones arrived. And all of a sudden we are the, the we are the bearers of all wisdom and knowledge and everything. Yeah, we, we can operate phones and we can operate software and, and we can run computers and and, and, and and we can we can put drones in the sky. But we can't we can't do a marriage. We have no idea how to stay married to the same person for more than four years. We can't raise kids. We have no idea, but I mean, we can fly jets. We, we can, we can invent iPhones and, and I can send technology to someone in China, but my kids, I can't, but I can't make my kids say yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Can't make them quit cussing people out. You sound brilliant. Yes. What a brilliant generation we have here. I think I'd rather go back to the 1800s or something where they at least, I mean, they didn't have the phones we have. They didn't have the technology, but they had banners. They, they at least knew that you respect your elders. They weren't little punks. And so I'm just saying, listen, we've got to get a hold of this and we got, to, we, we got to change it right now. We cannot be like this generation that did not know the Lord. How in the world did that generation of Israelites raise up kids that didn't know God? I have no idea. But I'm telling you right now, we at the church are not going to fail the next generation and not pass the faith on to them. Thank you for your holy silence. I believe the Lord is pleased with this. I'm telling you right now that we, at least me, and I hope I can speak it for all of us, we are not going to fail the next generation and not pass the faith on to them. We are going to pass the torch on. And so I've been studying statistics all week on this stuff. I'm like, man, I, I, I'm studying it. And so for what it's worth, in this same research, uh, Barna found that amongst the U.S. population, African Americans are the most Christian demographic. 87% report to be... <laughs> 87% of the African American community identifies as a born-again Christian. That's substantially higher than any other demographic. And I'm like, that's incredible. But then further, further studying in this, when they studied Generation Z, and this, this goes right along with it, African American teens in Generation Z are the most likely to be involved in church-themed activities than any other group. And I'm like, we need, we need every demographic, we need, ev- the High Desert Word Center is a church for everybody. Every age, every color, and I want to see these same statistics in place for every demographic right here at High Desert Word Center where they're saying that, that absolutely if I had to have my choice between going to do this or going to the youth group trip, I'm going to go to the youth group trip. That's what I'm talking about. And that says it right there. That says it right there. That the more likely you are to identify as a born-again Christian, the more likely that you are to actually have your kids in church. And then we've got teens saying that they'd rather go to a church-themed activity than, than you know, out to, to go bowling or out to the circus or whatever. I'm saying that's what we need right there all across the board. And so High Desert Word Center is going to be that church. We are not going to fail the next generation and not pass our faith on to them. Can I get an amen this morning? And so the final thing I want to show you is this, is in 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 
1 Kings chapter 2, and I'm going to show you the final conversation that David had with his son Solomon before he died. And there's a lot of wisdom in this conversation. I love David because not only was David a godly man, David was a man. Men, you, you left me on. David, like, he went to monster truck rallies and demolition derbies. He ate nachos at, at, at bedtime. David was a man. You should, you lay, you would, you would be, you would, our men's meetings get a little wild. Tony, am I right? <laughs> we talk a big game whenever it's just us, but then we go home and there's always a honeydew list waiting. Yes, honey. Yes. All right. Yes. I'll get right to that. But when it's just us, Oh, yeah, man, you should have seen me yesterday. Oh, oh. Am I giving the secrets away, guys? Sorry. <laughs> but I, I, I'm just saying, David, he, was, he wasn't a sissy boy, man. He didn't need a safe place. He didn't need Play-Doh when somebody disagreed with him. David was a man. Men. We need women in 2018. And there is a difference between the two. And you don't get to pick which one you are. Okay. <laughs> You're born one or the other. Anyway. So, and I, I just, there was never, never an option back in, back in the day. But anyway. First Kings chapter two, verses one through three. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must go someday. Take courage and be a man. Yeah! Come on! That's what you say. He's like, take courage, be a man, don't be a little sissy out there, stand up for what's right, be a man, Solomon, I'm gonna be gone, I'm, I'm dying, but you be a man. And then he says this, Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. This is the final conversation he's having with his son. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. And Solomon he was a manly man. He was a godly man. And he, I mean, he wasn't a perfect man. We know that much. He had over a thousand wives. That's not cool. You don't do that. Don't do that. But at the same time, Solomon, he built the temple. He fought battles. He, he, Solomon ended up being a manly man, a man of God. And why was it? It was because his dad passed it on to him. His dad cared about the future generations. All these Psalms we're reading this morning, God is faithful to all these generations. David wrote most of those. David did not only care about his generation, David didn't just care that he was king. David wanted his grandchildren and great-grandchildren to serve the same God that helped him beat the giant. And I can guarantee you David was telling his kids and his grandkids about it. Let me tell you about that time that this giant came and tried to make fun of the people of God and tried to kick up. Let me tell you what, I, I went out there and God was with me and I cut his head off. I killed him. Like, dude, that's what we need to be doing. You need to be talking about there's this one time son when we didn't see how we were going to make it, but the Lord came through in the midnight hour. Somebody showed up and God brought us through. And that's 
how you raise a godly generation. David's final words. Take courage. Be a man. And listen to me. You observe all the decrees and laws. You respect the word of God and you obey it. And you raise your kids just the same way that I raised you. And you and, and, and it's incredible. If you read the writings of Solomon, they are just like the writings of his father. You read a lot of the Proverbs. You read uh, a song of Solomon. You read uh, 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 um, oh anyway. You read all of his books that he wrote in the Old Testament. There, I'm telling you, I see so much. It sounds like did David write this or did his son write it? And and it sounds just like his dad speaking because his dad raised him to be just like that. And so as we're winding down this morning, it's like yeah, oh, we've been all over the place. Listen to me. I want you to check it out. I want you to get this. You have a privilege that you have children. God gave you a gift. God gave you a gift. God gave you grandchildren. What a gift. What? Oh, my gosh. That's grandkids. That's incredible what God has given to you this morning. And maybe you're like, well, I'm not quite there yet. You know, some of you are younger. You'll get there someday. And a lot of you guys are good. You know, Shaheem and others, you guys, you spend time with these young men at church and show them the ways of God. That's good. You're doing the right thing. And so I, I'm just encouraging us as, as we take this next, you know, as we have a little cake auction this morning, this isn't just, you know, raffling off desserts or whatever. We're making an investment to send a group of teenagers in 2018 up to the mountains for a few days to hear the word of God, to know the spirit of God and to receive the same faith that your grandparents and your parents have passed down to you. What, a, what, what an amazing thing. And so today, know this. God is faithful to all generations. And you have an obligation. You have a, a, a calling from God to pass the faith on to the next generation. And we are going to do it. If every other person in church in the world, High Desert Word Center is going to raise godly kids and teenagers. We will. Mark my words. We will. Godly kids will come out of this church. Godly people will come out of this church. And they're going to be the ones calling the shots in California 20 years from now. And they're going to be doing godly things, making godly decisions. And it's because you wonderful people this morning are making investments and helping them see the same God that you knew. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up together today. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.